Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. So in 1994, you were accused of two murders. It's all hearsay. They don't got nothing actually tying me to the murder weapon or nothing, man. That's some pretty heavy stuff to have two men against you so much that they're willing to put you in prison for the rest of your life. It hurts. I, I've been on I'm a lifetime. Uh, over 30 years to been away from my kids, my, my mom. I'm not here to choose a side or anything like that, but there are men in prison that are innocent. I'm like, so all this was over a VCR? Is this crazy or what? You are now listening to the podcast Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, they all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. According to the Innocent Project, there are at least 20,000 innocent people in U.S. jails today. Black men are seven times more likely to be wrongly convicted than white men. And while some high-profile cases might break through to the news, there are thousands more innocent people who fly under the radar without the money or the platform to bring attention to their case. Today, we're talking to a man who claims to be one of those innocent convicts. In 1994, Barry Brown was found guilty of a double homicide and was given two life sentences without the possibility of parole. Now, 30 years is a long time, and if you type in Barry's name into a search engine, it will pull up very little information about his case. By now, witnesses have passed, memories have faded, and the only way we can truly learn more about this case is by talking to the people at the heart of it. In my conversation with Barry Brown, I seek to find out what happened in 1994. We'll unpack the details of this case, laying out the evidence, and talking to the witness who put Barry behind bars in the first place. Did the justice system get it right, or should Barry be walking free? Decide for yourself on this episode of Voices of a Killer. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from Barry Brown. An offender at the Southeast Correctional Center. This call is from a correctional facility and may be monitored and recorded. All right, so Barry, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. How was your childhood growing up? Uh, I had a good childhood, man. Yeah. I wasn't bad at all. I was, I, I was just a bad person who left home at the age of 15. Why would you describe yourself as a bad person as a, as a young child like that? Well, I didn't even saying I was real bad because it took me three years to come. I came to prison for the first time at the age of 33. I, I just said bad kid, but I wasn't a bad kid. Did you have like a, a bad upbringing with your parents or what? No, no. I just wanted to be my own man. Yeah. 
So did you get into drugs as a, as a child? I started doing marijuana at the age of 15. And you said you'd been to prison before this murder occurred? No. 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 This is my first time in prison. Had you ever been arrested before? Besides uh, the uh, traffic ticket. Okay. How old are you right now? I'm 63. And at what age did you this crime occur? At the age of 33. 33. And that would have been in 1994, you said? Yes, sir. What were you like in 1994? What kind of person were you? Uh, I worked, worked, worked hard every day uh, doing roofing, but I was into drugs then. What kind of drugs? Crack cocaine. Barry, anybody that hears crack cocaine, they know that's a pretty serious drug. People do serious things. They, they typically steal so they can get high. Uh, there's a lot right. of stuff, a lot of negative stuff surrounding that drug. Did you ever uh, steal and do bad things so you could get high? I, I, I have stole stuff, man. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. But I, I, do nothing real, I didn't do nothing crazy. Right. You know, because I work, man. I work, work for a living. Work yeah. For my money. So in 1994, you were accused of two murders. You actually discovered the bodies of yeah. Helen Harmon. Is that who it is? Yeah, Helen Harmon and Liberty D. Harmon and her four-year-old daughter, that day you had went to go to their place to take a shower. Is that right? Yeah. I lived there off and on. Okay. Did you knock on the door, or did you just help yourself walking in? I got keys to the I got my own keys to the door. Whenever you unlocked the door and you walked into that apartment, what's the first thing you saw? The first thing I saw is that the door, like somebody kicked in the door. Okay. So, so somebody I, I forced entry? To, you're right. You noticed the door kicked in. Did you just go ahead and walk in? Yes. And what'd you see? Yes, I did, sir. The first thing I did, I went in, and uh, the room was quiet. And then I seen uh, Liberty. She was laying on the couch where I where I usually sleep at. And I thought she maybe she was asleep. I went over there and I seen her, and uh, and she had uh, when you've been dead for a while. Then I went. And, Walked in the back room, and uh, there was Helen back there. And then I ran downstairs to the landlord apartment and uh, told her about it, which she was my mother-in-law. I called the police. So the first person you saw was the four-year-old girl. What did she look like? She was like uh, blue in the face. Was there injuries? You can tell she'd been, been, been dead for a while. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And whenever you went to look at Helen, what what was her condition? Oh man, she was it was blood everywhere. She was laying on the bed. Yes, she was. Was she face up? It's been so long, I really don't remember. But all I know, I've seen blood, and after that, I shot out of there and went back to bed. Ran downstairs to the my mother-in-law's house, who which was the manager of the apartment building, and we and I called we called the police from there. Whenever you called the police, did you go back into the apartment, or did you just wait outside till the police came? No, waited for the police, sir. And they secured the scene and everything. Did they start questioning you? Yes, sir. What did they you tell them? Question. I told them what happened, what I seen when I got there, and after that, they they asked me to go down to the police station with them, and uh, I get, went down there and I gave gave my statement down there. On July 5, 1994, the dead bodies of Helen Harmon and her four-year-old daughter Liberty were found at their apartment in Kansas City. A later autopsy would reveal that Helen had been stabbed 42 times and Liberty strangled. 
Coroners pinned down the time of death to the early hours of July 4th. It was Barry who discovered the bodies the next day. A close friend, Barry, occasionally stayed at the Harmon's home and even had his own key to their apartment in Amwar Boulevard. It's not hard to imagine the grisly, bloody scene that greeted Barry that day, and he promptly alerted the police. Yet decades later, here I am talking to Barry from prison. It took just a few weeks before suspicion fell on Barry, and over the weeks that followed, investigators gathered together enough evidence to put Barry away for life. For 30 years, Barry's sentence has gone unchanged, in spite of an unsuccessful appeal Barry filed in 1998. So what pointed police to Barry Brown in July 1994? Take a look at his appeals report, and you'll soon see that Barry's conviction hinges on the testimony of two witnesses, George Cooper and Patrick Penn. So two weeks after the discovery of these bodies, a man named George Cooper, which is a friend of yours, told the police that you told him that you killed these people. Why would he say that? Because we had gotten to a fight. He owed me some money. And he told me he's going to make my life a living hell. And if you you see you got that much of it, if you look in there, he he gave my alibi to where I was at the time of the so-called murder, whatever the time it was. And then he he recants his story later on. So he first cooperated with your uh, alibi that you weren't? uh, Yes, sir. And then later went back to the police and said a different story? Yeah. So now the police have a story that you had confessed, and then what other evidence did they have? They said I confessed. Oh, they don't, man, they don't, it's it's all hearsay. They don't got nothing, no, actually tying me to the murder weapon or nothing, man. Did you owe George Cooper any money? No, George Cooper owed me money. He didn't give me all my money. That's what we got in the argument fight back, fight about at work on the roof. So do you think that he was mad enough, George Cooper was mad enough to, to go all the way through it, putting you in prison for the rest of your life? Oh, yeah. Did he take the stand? Yes. And he went through the whole thing saying that you did this, and in fact, this was all a lie from George <laughs> Cooper? Yep, him and uh, Patrick Penn. Is George Cooper still alive? No, George, George died about 10 years ago, man. Wow, I would have really liked to talk to him and ask him you know, why he would put somebody in prison for the rest of their life just for being angry at them. You know, usually like anger, you fight somebody or you just don't want to talk to them anymore, but doing that kind of. I can tell you that because on drugs, you were doing drugs too. We used to get high together. But people sober up and then, and things change and they're like, you know what? Uh, That's a pretty big deal. He come to find out he got money by putting me in prison. You know how they put a reward out? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the deal. Uh, it also says that a week later, a gentleman named Patrick Penn, another yeah. friend of yours, told the police that you had uh, told him that you killed Mrs. Harmon and her daughter. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So that's two men that are mad enough to lie? Yes, sir. Well, for basically for the same, same reason, sir. I, I was shocked to even see him and then when I went in the courtroom. It says right here in your, uh, this is actual... Uh, the appeals writings, it says the defendant, which is you, explained to Penn, which is Patrick Penn, your friend, that Mrs. Harmon had given you some money so that you could retrieve her video cassette recorder. Yeah, yeah, I did. I got a high one night and then I took their TV and I pawned it off. Yeah, and so you basically instead you took the money and, and for crack cocaine and 
And then you went back yes. to Mrs. Harmon's apartment at 3.30 a.m. on July 4th to get some more money. While the defendant was crawling around the floor beside her bed, she actually awoke and, and then a fight ensued. That's was all the details that you told to Mr. Patrick I, Penn. That's yeah. what he told, but it ain't true, sir. Here's the deal that Patrick went as far as to show the police the same murder weapon. And the tip of that murder weapon, which was a knife, was had a broken spot. And that broken spot was inside of one of your victims. How would he know where the murder weapon is? Evidently, he, maybe he's the actual, uh, actual killer. You know, if you, you look a little more, you'll see the autopsy report where they didn't find the metal fragment inside the victim's body. Hmm. That, the actual autopsy report. So since Patrick Penn was able to actually show them where the murder weapon was, that either makes the story true or it makes it to where he really, he is the killer because he knew where the murder weapon and, is. And, 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 and it's now, my question, is that the actual murder weapon? You know, the Innocent Project is investigating my court, my case right now on some of that. On what? On that, the actual murder weapon. Because when I seen this murder weapon, I put, man, it did look like it had been in the sewer system for some years. It was rusty. Rust can happen actually pretty quickly, but and I'm not trying to... In two weeks? In two weeks? Yes, actually, rust can happen really quick. Now, the amount of rust, if it's like really rusty, but if yeah, it's just a little bit, it, yeah, you'd be surprised. I've welded a lot in, in things like that as jobs. Just a piece of metal left out and one raindrop, you'll actually have a little bit of rust form around it and one rain, raindrop. But now, if it's a significant amount of rust, then that shows that it's been there for a really long time. But let's back up a little bit. So... It says in your appeals, some of the writings, it says the knife had a broken tip. An x-ray of Mrs. Harmon's body discovered a foreign object consistent with the broken tip of the knife. You're telling me that a further autopsy revealed that was not the tip or it was? Right. My actual autopsy, you could give my transcript, the police report, it, it, you'll see in it, it said they didn't find no metal fragment in the victim's body. Why is it so saying this in the appeal? Because they had a guy who was Dr. Berkeley, I forgot, Berkeley, he came and testified for me in court. Everybody had, everybody in the jury had to get up and walk up to the x-ray screen to see where he talked. He gave his expert opinion on the situation, right? They still really didn't see that because he's an expert forensic scientist. They believed it. Yeah, that's some pretty heavy stuff to have two men against you so much that they're willing to put you in prison for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's not been in there. You said that George Cooper took the stand. Did Patrick Penn also take the stand against you? Yeah. Okay. Now, I told you about George Cooper taking it. It's been so long, I think he did He did a video statement. I don't think he was, he, I don't, if I don't remember, he, he didn't actually come to prison, take the jury, the jury he, he, yeah, they had a video of him. But then they wouldn't even let him play it because he he was uh had seen he was he told two or three different stories. Now Patrick Pitt actually took the stand on the case against Barry Brown rested on three main arguments. First, he had the motive. Barry had admitted to stealing and pawning Helen's VCR for drug money, something that could have easily sparked a heated argument. Secondly, two of Barry's friends testified that he had confessed to them about murdering Helen and Liberty. Third, and most compelling of all, was the unearthing of the murder weapon, 
a six-inch knife with a wooden handle and a missing tip. It was Patrick Penn, the second witness to come forward, who led police to the knife in which was laying in a storm drain, where he claimed that Barry had showed it to him. The knife presents an interesting predicament. If Barry is indeed innocent and the knife was the real murder weapon, how would Patrick know where to find it? Could Patrick Penn be the real killer, framing his friend for the crime he committed? Barry certainly seems to push this theory. In fact, he sees the entire case as a conspiracy against him. He cast doubt on the credibility of George Cooper's witness testimony, suggesting that Cooper wanted to pocket the reward money by pinning the blame on Barry. And Barry takes issue with the hard evidence of this case too, disputing whether the knife was even the murder weapon at all, after inconsistencies in the autopsy report. Could this have been a botched investigation? Did two angry drug addicts lead investigators astray and let their innocent friends spend the rest of their life in jail? So I'll tell you, Barry, I, I would not be surprised at all if, if you're an innocent man in prison. These kind of things happen all the time. Obviously, the police have some pretty big things to go off of, which is two people saying that, yes, you admitted to it. And then this whole thing with the, the weapon and all that. So my question to you is, if you're an innocent man in prison, what does that feel like to be somebody that's accused of killing someone and, and being sentenced to prison and, and you're actually innocent? Man, it, it hurts. I, I've been I missed a lifetime, uh, over 30 years, to been away from my kids, my, my mom, and I, my mother. When my mother on down there, all these people die on me while I was in prison, it hurts. Like I said, I finally got the Innocent Project to start investigating my case. And uh, I, I went until, so you interview and you can actually, which I can send you something on, on the pathologist where I found out about the pathologist falsified my homicide report. Is Patrick yes, Penn sir. still alive? Yes, he is still alive somewhere. I can't exactly tell you where. How can I get a hold of him? I, I do not know. Do you have anybody on the outside that would be able to help me find Patrick? Uh, I'm going to get on the phone tonight. And I will try to see if somebody ever heard from him or whatever. But no, I, no, I haven't heard. I would like to, I may end up hiring a private investigator to find Mr. Patrick Penn because if you're, he, go ahead. He should be. You look up his prison record. See, and that's, Do you think he's still in prison right now? No, I, I would, I don't know, but he had a prison record. Yeah. And then, like I said, once you get up into the details of my case, you'll find out. Also about him. I, it still puzzles me that two people decided to both tell a story about you killing someone and you think it's purely from them just not liking you? No, George Cooper, like I told you, George Cooper, me and him fell out. But Patrick Penn was a real surprise to me. But I think it was more about him walking, not going to prison. See, uh, he was on parole at the time. And uh, yeah, he had an ankle bracelet on. So he took it off, took a screwdriver or something, popped it off. So that made him what? Exconder. My lawyer at the time couldn't even bring up this stuff when it was in court. So who do you think they'd rather have? Me for them for the for the murder? Or he never went to went to jail back to prison or whatever, man. I was hey, I was really shocked to even see him when I walked in that courtroom, man. What was that like looking at somebody that's lying about Something that puts you in prison for the rest of your life. Oh, I was just shocked, man. That was my first time being in a trial of something of that magnitude. 
they telling me uh, I should possibly go to the first day, the lawyer was talking about the death penalty, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, they never, they really never came to me, which I wasn't taking nothing anyway, because I knew I was, I was in, you know. Yeah. Do you have support so, on the outside? Yes, I do. Does anybody, your family or friends, think you're guilty? No, you didn't talk to my, my, my wife, my ex, she's my ex now, Deborah Walker, and my daughters. You can talk to all of them. I still talk to them. So, Barry... I talk to a lot of people that are in prison and, and you spend a, a lot of time around people in prison. So you understand that there's a lot of prisoners that claim innocence. Obviously there's going to be some that really are innocent, but there's so many that claim innocence. How do you feel when somebody, you know, you're in prison with says, Oh, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. And then do you believe them? Some of them, some of them. Just like this. When I was out on, in the free will and I heard that, Guy talking about he, he's not good for the crime. I said the same thing, man. Uh, he he just he he just he just wanted don't want to go to prison. But uh, but for me, man, uh, and like I said, you can check my record out, man. It's my like I said, my first time in prison. It's my time. And the man. thing is, Barry, I talk to people that sixteen-year-old kids that never even been yeah, suspended from school. That. that people just do things. But here's what we're gonna do, Barry. I'm gonna put this aside for a little while and let the private investigator try to track down Patrick Penn. And yeah. hopefully that comes to fruition. Yeah. And if it does, I will definitely let you know when that happens. And then we're going to yeah. see if I can't get to talk to him. And you can talk to some of my alibi witnesses if you can. Okay. All right. See <laughs> Thank you. you. Yep. Bye-bye. The caller has hung up. Now 63, Barry has spent half his life behind prison walls. He's missed watching his kids grow up. He's missed laying family members to rest, time that is truly irreplaceable. Life has passed him by as only a spectator, and the weight of that lost time must be even more painful if Barry is indeed innocent. Remarkably, Barry has stood firm in proclaiming innocence after all these years, and even appealing the rule in 1998. As our call came to an end, Barry brought up a critical part of his appeal, his alibi. Barry attested that he had three witnesses who could vouch for his whereabouts on July 4th, but the court never heard their testimony. One of those witnesses was Timmy Brown, Barry's brother, who told police that Barry had spent the day at his house. In 98, the court dismissed this plea on the grounds that while Barry might have had an alibi for the day of the murder, this did not account for the critical early hours of the morning when the crime took place. At this point, it becomes clear that this story goes nowhere unless we talk to Patrick Penn. I enlisted a private investigator to track down Patrick, hoping that he could finally set the record straight. After the break, you'll hear the results of this investigation. Hey, Barry. Hey, hello, sir. After I got off the phone with you yesterday, I got on the internet and I hired a private investigator out of Kansas City to try to track down Patrick Penn. So we're going to have to let that transpire, see what happens. And then hopefully if I can track him down and get a phone number, I'll definitely call him and, uh, and go from there. What do you think about that? I don't, I, I don't, I don't got no problem with that, sir. Well, Barry, I appreciate you calling me back. I'm going to uh, keep you close to me so I can uh, inform you on what happens and uh, we'll go from there, okay? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. But uh, yeah, man, to get back, I'm. Yeah, you, you need to talk to the innocent project. Right now, they got my case. Okay, 
I certainly hope that if you're an innocent man, that maybe I can do something to help you. But uh, we all know that's a far stretch. But uh, doing nothing gets you yeah, nothing. So it. at least trying. Yeah, I know. I know. I've been been in prison now thirty years. <laughs> that's a long time. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yes, all right. Yeah. Okay, Barry. All right, sir. All right. See you. All right. Hello. Hello. All right. Now, who's this again? It's Melinda Mathis. This is Patrick Penn's caretaker. So I'm looking for a Patrick Penn. Do you know him or you said you're his caretaker? Yes, I am his caretaker. And I'd like to be able to speak to him. Uh, it's To my understanding, he's uh, a witness to a murder that happened in Kansas City. And I've been speaking to the guy that he was a witness to his murder. So uh -huh. if I could speak to Patrick, that would be great. Yes, you can speak with him. Thank you. Okay. All right, Pat. Okay. okay. He said hello. Hey, Patrick. Are are you not going? Are you okay? So, hey, do you recall what happened? You going to trial and and uh, being on the stand? Yeah. You remember that? Yes, I do. So, whenever I talked to Barry, he had two witnesses against him, and you were one of them. And he said that uh, in the court documents, it said that Barry told you what he did—the murders. Is this true? Yes, it's true. So, have you ever had any kind of anger or animosity towards Barry? No, I haven't. Do you think it's possible that he didn't tell you that, or he's for sure told you that? For sure he told me. What exactly did he tell you whenever he told you about this? the specifics? He told me about the murders, and how he killed the little girl, and he told me everything. He told you that he killed the little girl and the mother? Yes, he also showed me where he hid the knife. He also showed him where he hid the knife, he said. Yeah, so they found that knife. Yeah, there was a chip missing off in the end of the knife. And yeah, he broke it, he broke it off in there. Yeah. In healing. Yeah. How long did you know Barry for? For 17 years. Did you do drugs with Barry? Yes. Did Barry have a, a mean spirit uh, before this, or do you think he just snapped? I think he just snapped. Yeah. Patrick, he's uh, basically saying that you're lying. How do you feel about that? I'm not lying. Okay. I would never do that. You would never put a man in prison for the rest of his life? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Patrick, I'm really thrilled that I was able to get a hold of you. I actually hired a, a private investigator to find you, and the first number they gave me was the right one. Uh, I, mm. appreciate, I appreciate your time. I'm going to reach out to Barry again and let him know that I spoke to you. And Do you want me to tell him anything if I see him? No, no, Barry. I'm not lying, no. Okay. No, hey. Listen, I, I like to get all the sides and stuff. I'm not here to choose a side or anything like that. But there are men in prison that are innocent, and it doesn't mean yeah, that I know. It, it doesn't mean that Barry is. But we got he he's not innocent. Okay, he's not. All right, Patrick, I appreciate you today, and I hope everything is okay for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. You have a good day. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to the caretaker as well. Okay, thank you. And we'll look you up, Toby, Voices of a Killer. That's correct. Look it up and you'll hear him and you. <laughs> okay. All right, thank see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So Patrick stands by his account. In our short call, he confirmed the details we already know, that Barry confided to him about the double murders and he had taken him to see the knife. Patrick says he had no intention of convicting an innocent man, least of all a friend he had known for 17 years. Barry, Patrick swears, is undeniably guilty. Without access to more information, our investigation stalls. 
We're left with two opposing accounts, a he said, she said situation. That's not surprising given the age of this case. There are a few official records available online and George Cooper, a key witness in this case, is dead. Even if the police were to revisit the case, their investigation would hit many barriers, such as unreliable memories and lost evidence. But one thing stuck out to me. If, as Barry theorized, Patrick was framing him, why would Patrick voluntarily talk to me? He's an old man now with deteriorating health, yet Patrick seemed eager to get the truth out on our call. It's hard to imagine that somebody who got away with a crime long ago would take the risk of speaking out and inviting new interests in the case if he didn't need to do so. Not only did Barry's willingness to speak intrigue me, but it's also stirred the interest of his caretaker, who called me back shortly after our conversation. All right, now who's this again? This is Patrick Penn's caretaker. Okay, what's going on now? No, so I was just asking him about everything, and I don't know if he like all the details. I'm sh- I don't know if it came up in the court and stuff, but he was just telling me all the details, which is absolutely crazy. What what exactly was he saying? Like that. So when he went and told, the detectives came to his house. And what is his name? Barry came over while the detectives were there. And with a, what, a 38? What would you say, Pat? What kind of gun did he have? 38. He came over with a 38 and was wanting to kill Pat for telling and so Pat told the detectives to get in the closet and he used to all hear everything. And I don't know if it's in the wow. court documents about all this or anything. So the only thing that's out there that I can find, I'm sure, you know, some maybe there's people with better skills at locating, but there's two mm-hmm. documents. They're both appeals and it doesn't t- talk about that. It just talks about him appealing that the witnesses, that's all they had was his. Patrick. The one's dead. Pat yeah. said the other one's dead. Yes. Like he passed. Yep. I asked. Barry said he was dead, but. So he said the detectives actually hide it, hid in the closet. And when um, Barry came in, he was going to kill Pat because Pat was the only one that he like had told. And, or I don't. And so the tech detectives, came out of the closet and actually arrested him then. So they did arrest him there, I'm sure. Yeah, they arrested him then. And so Pat just texted his ex-wife or the Barry's wife at the time mm-hmm. and said that you would, that a private investigator contacted him. She's, are you freaking kidding me? How does he think he's going to get out of, it was like a, whatever she said, it was like a two murder and two something else. Yeah. And she's and she said her daughter is the only one that talks to him. I guess it's his daughter too. Right. And um, yeah, and yeah, he said that something. Pat told me the whole story that his wife had left him, and that he went down. So they lived in some apartment complex Barry's, or something. Barry's wife left him. Uh huh. And Pat still in contact with her because he just talked to her tonight. He was like, "This person just contacted me," and she's what. Wow. I wonder about this now. I wonder if, does was Barry's wife involved with Patrick at the time of this happening? Like friends or like lovers or something? Oh, lovers. No. Pat, you and her, you and his wife didn't have a relationship, like sexual relationship, did you? <laughs> Hell no. Okay. No. And um, I, I guess she had kicked him out. And so he went down there, he told me, and stayed for the night. He was on crack and all this. 
And so he had stole their VCR, like the kid's VCR or something. Yeah. And then came back. I'm like, so all this was over a VCR? Is this crazy or what? And so the girl came back. So Pat, you said the VCR was missing and the girl came back and was asking for the VCR and then he just killed him? And then he just killed him? He came back that night and then just killed him. And he had only been there one night, right? He had been there one night. He had, because he had got kicked out from his wife's house. Why did he get kicked out from his wife's house? Why did his wife kick him out? Because it's a crack. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting all details here. Because <laughs> I'm like, what is really going on? Like, what? Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, so, what made Patrick tell testify? Yeah. He told me just now, he said he had, he came and just right after it happened and told Pat. And so, Pat, what'd you say for two weeks? Two weeks, you like held it in and he called it, and Pat called his mom. And his mom was like, You need to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And then supposedly Pat was like under a different name and all this. And, and he went in there and was like, I don't care. Y'all can arrest me. This is because y'all have been looking for me too. He goes, Y'all can arrest me or whatever, but I'm just going to tell you what happened. And then he told them all. And I guess they didn't arrest him. What else did you say? You went in for a different name and then you went in and you said, y'all can arrest me, but this is just, he was at somebody's house, he said, and he goes, he would just have his head down. And he was like, he knew these people, like the lady and the child. Yeah. And Pat knew them and Pat, and they were all on drugs. Yeah. And Pat just felt that, well, his mom is the one that said, you need to, you need to go tell. Yeah. I had a good mom, though. So, yeah. Appreciate you reaching out to me. Yeah. So, we're watching your podcast right now. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was just, this is crazy because it happened in 19, what? 96. And so, he said 94. The trial was probably 96. The trial, he said, was probably 96. Yeah. And all this, and I'm like, and Pat, he doesn't talk to anybody on the phone or how he was talking to you in the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so we're just sitting here just talking and I'm like, yeah. what happened? How's this? He's told me about it before, but I didn't really pay attention to all the details yeah. until this. Yeah. And then he texted the wife and then the wife texted him back. Are you freaking kidding me? So it's not like you're going for the people like trying to get them out or anything. It's like you're just wanting to hear the side of the killer, right? Well, we're we're getting all the facts and we're definitely, you know, if there's somebody out there that, you know, we think that I'm sure that are innocent. Sure, sure. So yeah. Yeah. We're playing a neutral stance. They've already been convicted, but there are innocent people yeah. convicted. So we're just poking around. Yeah. Interesting. That sounds very interesting. All right. Out. Oh, definitely. Right. I was like, he needs to know more of the story. And Pat was like, I'm sure that was in there, that the yeah. detectives were in the closet and stuff. I'm sure he saw that. I'm like, I maybe did. he didn't. Well, I, didn't. I don't know. I don't pull discoveries. Anyway, I appreciate it. Okay. All right. All right. Have a great night. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. New details emerge from my conversation with Melinda, Patrick's caretaker. It turns out that Barry had been kicked out of his ex-wife's for using crack at the time of the murder. And that's why he was living at the Harmon's apartment. 
Another key insight from the caretaker was that Patrick approached the police under a fake name after he consulted his mother about the right thing to do. And when Barry learned that Patrick had done so, he threatened to kill Patrick with a 38 caliber gun, an incident that prompted the detectives to arrest him. This fresh information fleshes out what we know about Barry's possible motive. Yet in my exchange with Melinda, I sensed the hint of skepticism, heightened by the sound of the podcast playing in the background to the call. Why are we here, poking our noses into a case that was settled 30 years ago? Truth is, not all convictions are accurate. We live with a flawed justice system that sometimes imprisons the wrong people and leaves them with no lifelines. Providing a platform for alleged killers can humanize them and give them a fair shot at being heard when the legal system fails them. I caught Barry up to speed with the latest developments. As we talk to him one last time, it's up to you to draw your own conclusions about who killed Helen and Liberty Harmon in 1994. Hey, Barry. Yes, sir. Well, I got some news for you. Yes, sir. I got a hold of Patrick Penn. Huh? I hired a Taylor Payton Investigations and a gentleman named Derek there uh, who does the investigations and research was able to locate Patrick Penn for me in a short period of time. And I called up and uh, he has a caretaker. He's pretty old. I spoke to the caretaker. I spoke to Patrick and I said, listen, I, I hired a private investigator to track you down. I just want to ask you a few questions. And he said, okay. And I asked him if he knew you. And he said, yeah. And then I said, I said, this guy's in prison. I said, he says that two people say that he did this crime and he's saying he didn't is an innocent man in prison. And he said, that's what you told him, that you had told him about the murder and where the weapon was, and that's how they found the knife. He's still sticking to his story. I asked him if he had any ill, any Ill fate for you, and he said no. He said he went a week without telling, and his mother, he told his mom, and his mom said he should tell. And then also, uh, one other thing that he said, actually, the, the caretaker called me back and said that he had said some more stuff while, after we hung up, and, and that he was actually at his house, and the detectives were over there, and you came over there trying to attack him. That he had to hide in a closet. He had to hide in a closet or something like that because the the detectives made him hide in a closet because you were coming over or something like that. Oh man, that's that, 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 you know that's you know that's I'm five I'm five feet five, sir. And my tall Patrick is um, six feet. He's about six two, six three. None of that really matters whenever there's a murder involved in weapons and stuff like that. Anybody could. Size don't matter, but he didn't hide in there because he wanted to. The detectives, supposedly, I'm just telling you what he said, that yeah, he was, that he was over there, the detectives were there, and they said he's on his way, so he just hide or whatever. We don't want y'all to be interacting or whatever. But it's crazy because I was able to get in touch with Patrick Penn, and yeah. he's, after all these years, uh, you know, and, and he ain't got many left, it sounds like, that uh, he's sticking to a story that you're the one that told him this, these things. He told his mom, said they should uh, confess and that he doesn't have any ill fate towards you. There's no reason for him to say these things. So what is your reaction to that? Well, because I believe he's the actual murderer, sir. You think he's Patrick, the actual murderer? Come, yeah. Patrick, you can come and visit me over there. Now, and what you just told me is kind of convincing me even more. But one thing you can check. Remember, I told you he he took that he took that ankle bracelet off, cut that ankle bracelet off his leg. Now, what is why come he wasn't rearrested when they talked to him? 
You know what I'm saying? I think I may call him back and ask him that. But as of now, Barry, I think I think I got enough of the story to get a feel for people can start picking a side. It's really difficult because here's the thing. It wasn't just Patrick. It was another guy. He's deceased now. So that's not just Patrick against you, but you against two other people. And uh, it's a shame right. that it has to go like this, but uh, that's what we're left with to try to figure this out. And it seems like the court figured yep. it out with the two witnesses. But They went on, but you look at, obviously, I'm in here, but... Since I've been down, I don't out a whole lot of stuff, you know. Yeah. I can't really get in, get into it here, but I was based that up, man. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. Yep. Man. Barry, I appreciate, yep, your, I appreciate your time. I'm going to uh, keep pushing forward, and I hope the truth comes out in whatever way it needs to come out. Yes, sir. Hey, do me a favor. When you call, you ask them about that stuff. Why come you wasn't rearrested? You wasn't arrested. Okay. I, I, I believe he either got a, they got money or something for that or whatever. Or him or his George But see, also, I already told the police I, I had been smoking uh, crack. But guess who was smoking crack? Too. Both of those guys, man. Yeah. But they, my, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she don't even allow them over to the, didn't after that happened. My, you, just remember, you just reminded me to tell you something else. Yes, sir. Evidently, he's got, at the minimum, a friendly relationship with your ex-wife because she actually texted in while I was talking to him. Oh, really? Yeah. Nah. They're at the, I, very, they're I, at the very minimum friends. Nah. I got I'm, I'm going to find out. I call my call my daughter. Daughter, when I get out, I can't. Do you, do when I'm call, find out. Do you still have a relationship yeah. with her? She don't got remarried. I had a relation. I, I, I don't talk to every blue moon, but uh, I talk to my daughters. Okay. By, who are by, by them. All right, Barry. By her. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Like I said, I, whatever the truth is, I hope that's what comes out, okay? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. All right. You have uh, a good one, all right? All right, buddy. All right, see you. Later, later. Bye-bye. The caller has hung up. on the next episode of Voices of a Killer. Yeah, I never hit her. The whole time we were married until that night, I never hit her. Why didn't you leave? Because I loved her. She was very jealous, very jealous. I had to quit my band, I had to sell my Harley, I had to sell my drums. It was just like something took over my body. It wasn't me. I was just heart racing real fast here. You know, my hands are shaking, my whole body's shaking. The thing was that uh, I didn't know what to do with it. And uh, I really didn't know. That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Barry for sharing his story with us today. His ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. If you would like to listen to the raw recordings of these interviews, you can visit patreon.com slash voices of a killer. By becoming a patron, you can access not only this, but hours of bonus recordings, correspondence, and you can contribute to the way the show is produced. A big shout out to Sonic Futures, who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, 
make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer. Hey listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind the scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this, at our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before at our producer tier you will have the opportunity to engage with the team participate in q a polls and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments this tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future you'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes how cool At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on voices of a killer.